in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The Raiders are expected to release Richie Incognito. That will save them $5.5 million against the salary cap. But uh, we've had some reports uh, from Vic Tafer, or even before he was being released, that said the Raiders uh, would like to re-sign Richie Incognito at a cheaper price. So, do you think they actually can pull that off? Can they release him and re-sign him for 2 or $3 million to save some money? Yeah, for a couple of reasons. One, um, you know, the the story of Richie Incognito is he was ready to retire. Uh, you know, before his dad passed away, he he told he told me the first year he was there, he goes, we were we bought the house in Vegas. We were just going to watch the Raiders there. His dad passed away, but you know, he still had the house in Vegas. That was his thing. He was going to retire. Um, we know the injuries coming off of, so I don't know the market at this point for Richie Incognito, given the the injuries coming off of. So if he had in mind that he was going to give up football and, and, and just walk away at one point before the Raiders signed him, I can't believe now that he's settled in Las Vegas and he loves living here that he'd want to, at this point in his career after that injury, go, I don't know, play, let's just throw out a team, Jacksonville, for like a little more money. Like, I, I don't think he's at that stage in his career. If he was 25, maybe. but So I think they have a good chance that they really want to bring him back to cut his salary and to bring him back at a lower cost. What if it's a lot? Like, what if Jacksonville says, here's six million? Oh, well, maybe that's different. But is someone <laughs> going to pay Richie Incognito six yeah, million? Yeah, I, I doubt I mean, it. I mean, coming off an injury, he's older, yeah. and it seems like everyone except, like, five teams have salary cap problems. Right. I would doubt it, but I'm just I'm just curious. The Ra- I mean, the Raiders are, in effect, taking a chance, if that's their plan, is to cut him and re-sign him for two or three. If somebody comes in and says, hey, Richie's been great when he's healthy, here's six. Even if you love Vegas, like six million versus two or three, I I think you got to take the six. Pay someone to watch the house in Vegas until he comes back and retires here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if he was making five and someone's going to give him six, I guess he'd go take the six. But I'm just I'm just basing the opinion on what his injury was, how old he is and. Like I said, he bought the he bought the house here. He, you know, he said he's going to retire here before the Raiders even signed him. The idea was to come to Vegas and retire. So, I think it would take a lot to have him move. Now, again, six six over two is six over two. But uh, I I just don't think with the cap that people are going to pay him that much money. That's a great great question. Uh, the Nets just announced at eight a.m. Pacific time that they have signed Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin. So Blake Griffin, uh, he cleared waivers and nobody claimed him off waivers at a big contract. Uh, He actually repaid some of his contract back uh, to get waived and make it an okay deal to get waived. But the Nets have now signed Blake Griffin. Are you expecting him to be good anymore? No, not really with his body broken down and how he was there in the end uh, with Detroit. No, I'm I'm not. I, I, I don't know. Is this... If you think he has something left, is this as much you don't want someone else to have him that you would sign him? I mean, if you think there's something there that, you know, you don't want either another East contender or if you think you're good enough to get the finals, the Lakers were mentioned, the Clippers were mentioned. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it was as much that as it is, hey, we think Blake Griffin's really going to come in and help this team right now. Yeah, I like he hasn't dunked this season. Um, yeah. He's shooting. He's only played 38 games the last two years combined. 
uh, and he's shooting like under 45% on two pointers in the last two years. Uh, so health is a concern and actual efficiency is a concern, but I have to imagine Blake Griffin playing with Brooklyn because Harden, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant are going to create the offense. He's going to be just fine because he's just going to have to stand about seven feet away from the rim when his guy helps catch the ball and dunk the ball. And if he can still dunk it, if not, just make a layup. I get the question is, is he any better than just an average NBA power forward? And that's what we'll have to see. And... Maybe the better question for the Nets is, what does he have to offer on defense? Because that's where the Nets need to get better if they're going to win an NBA title, is they've got to get better on the defensive end. Is Blake Griffin a good defender at this stage? I, I don't know. I don't know what you expect from him defensively. But if he is, he'll, he'll help because that's what they need the most. Is there any chance he could kiss the rim? anymore i i'd have to imagine if he put it put all his effort into it yeah he might not be able to play the rest of the season but i have to imagine <laughs> he could he could if it was if it was hey you need to pull off this one thing kiss the rim Dumb. for us he could do it that would be perfect for the for the next season you get him for one game he kisses <laughs> next question what happened there jared did you just run out of steam on that sentence Oh no! I my I killed my own mic by accident. Okay, well, <laughs> that's a good thing. That's the best accident you've ever had. Um, Lindy LaRock hey, was named hey. Mountain West Coach of the Year. Uh, UNLV did very well in the women's yeah. basketball awards. Desiree Young, Freshman of the Year. Bailey Thomas, Defensive Player of the Year. Nia Johnson was named to the all-conference team. Uh, so, breaking news, UNLV teams are allowed to be good during a COVID year, in case you thought they weren't. Yeah, I don't, uh, I'm not going to pretend that I put much uh, thought into the uh, all-conference teams for anybody when it comes to the Mountain West, uh, no matter the uh, what it is. But I was thinking the other day, boy, uh, nine straight wins on the road and all that she did, pick ninth and finish in second. If she wasn't coach of the year, uh, you know, investigation should have commenced. So uh, easy choice oh, no. there. Congratulations. Oh, no. Her. Ed, Ed, she, she, she robbed somebody. She should not have been coach of the year. Do you know who should Who'd have been coach rob? of the year? Okay. Mike Bradbury is the head coach in New Mexico. They won the conference. And like the women's, they were a nomad team. They, I think they ended up getting two home games at the end of the season. But the New Mexico women's basketball team won the conference while being based out of, like, Phoenix or something like that. Uh, well, like, I might have changed my mind there if I knew who that person was. Mike Bradbury. Uh, that's his but name. You Let's go. You could have said robbed. Mike Bradbury to me and said, Ed, it's 8.07. We're off at 9.57. Go. Who is he? No chance I would have made it. <laughs> I would have gone through every soccer team in the history of soccer before I got to. Hey, by the way, is that guy the New Mexico State women's coach? <laughs> <laughs> um, no the Lady Rebels, by the way, they play today their first game in the Mountain West Tournament because they got the two seed, by the way, behind New Mexico. Uh, <laughs> they play today against Wyoming in their first game in the Mountain West Tournament. The unfortunate part about UNLV in the Mountain West is they have a great season. They get the number two seed. They're not going to the NCAA Tournament unless they win this conference yeah. tournament. So they it's need one-bid league, I'd imagine. Is it a one-bid yes, league? It is. They've got some decent teams in the top 100 of the net rating, but... Still not, it's not like they've got teams in the top 30 that would say, oh, you're in. So they got to win it uh, to get in, and hopefully they can pull off three in the next three well, days so we can uh, tell you that Lindy the Rock did deserve it over Mike Bradbury. Yeah. Gosh. 
Next question. The Astros signed Jake Odorizzi, starting pitcher. He was the uh, biggest name left on the free agent market as we got into the second week of March. It's because, though, Framber Valdez, who would have been the Astros' number one pitcher more than likely, he might miss the whole season after he fractured his finger in his first free agent start. We've talked a lot about baseball free agency and how owners are reluctant to spend money and how it needs to be fixed. But as an Astros fan, I'm kind of glad that there was a good starter available for when our best pitcher got hurt in his first spring training start that we could go sign him just a month before the season begins. Was this kid hurt with the Twins? Uh, yeah, he only, he only, I think he okay. pitched yeah. like three times last year last or year he yeah. was, but, you yeah. know, most other years he was full go but last year i was wondering because he didn't fish much yeah he was he was on their il for most of last season but he had been solid before that and best of all he's a yankee killer he's taken a no hitter into the ninth against the yankees he's shut them down plenty of times so that's the part i'm most excited about is when the astros beat the yankees in the alcs again Jeez. it'll be great we got to get this job kid pitched two innings last year made 18 million my goodness <laughs> God, unbelievable. Man, you know, that's a great question. Loyola Chicago beat Drake to win the Missouri Valley title. Uh, they are one of four teams that have already clinched a spot in the NCAA tournament, along with Winthrop, Moorhead State, and Liberty. Uh, we've talked about Loyola Chicago a couple of times on this show. They're better than the team that went to the Final Four. They are ninth yeah. this year in Ken Palm. They're number one in Ken Palm's defensive ranking. Like, this is a legitimately good team. They might get bounced in the second round, but this is a legitimately good Loyola Chicago team. I love the name Porter. Oh, my I God. I love that. Sounds like, you know, 1855, and, like, he's this rich guy, <laughs> and his name's Porter, and he wears, like, you know, he's always in a suit. Uh, and he, you know, with Dapper with the hat and the cane and stuff. Uh, that's why I love him. I, I have not heard a lot about now. God love her. I think she's a hundred, but we have not heard about sister Jean on this run as much as the last one. Right. Um, she did a press conference. Um, she did lately. I, did I misremember wow. that? I'm almost certain sister Jean did a press I was, conference. I remember I was at the one at the sister final Jean. four. No, I remember I was seeing her recently. I was at the one at the Final Four, and it was the most attended press conference I ever was at the Final Four when Sister Jean held the press conference. Um, and props to her. She wasn't late like most of them. She rolled in right on time, made deadline. Um, oh, so, excuse me. It wasn't I, a press conference. She was on ESPN's College Game Day. Ah, okay. All right. So she well, was there. By the way, on the name Porter, it sounds like the name of somebody that was on the Wyoming basketball team when they won the national title and the – 40s or whenever the hell Wyoming won the national championship. Like, I, I, there has to be a guy on that team named Porter, right? Well, yeah, I mean, back then, I think every team had a kid named Porter. I mean, it was probably like the most, it was probably like the <laughs> most popular name in the in the country at that point named Porter. Yeah, I, there's not many Porters left, I'll tell you that. I, I don't know many guys named Porter. Uh, by the way, one other note on some of the automatic qualifiers. Uh, Liberty, who clinched one of the spots, they're in. They actually clinched a spot before winning the Atlantic Sun Conference Tournament title because they played North Alabama. And North Alabama is transitioning up from Division One, so they are not eligible to play in the uh, NCAA not tournament. Eligible. Yeah, so not even eligible. if Liberty had lost the title game, they still would have played in the NCAA tournament, which would have been a big bummer for everybody. I'm out. 
Jose Ramirez and Fran Mil Reyes of the Indians. Uh, Viola, I guess they're still the Indians for this year, right? Of Cleveland baseball team. Yeah, violated year, COVID yeah. protocols. Uh, the team sent them home because Fran Mil Reyes got his hair cut and both of them went to an indoor restaurant. Uh, going to the indoor restaurant violates the COVID protocols that the MLB and MLBPA agreed to. But what the hell is it with haircuts? Uh, this has to be I mean, the number Jim one cause yeah. of all sports COVID-related absences. Because what the hell? Everybody gets a haircut it, and then the barber tested positive. Was it, uh, it was, uh... Joel Embiid and both Simmons and Embiid, right? Yes! They With the they bar- went to a barber who then tested positive, and that's why they this, missed the All-Star game. See, What's happening this with is barbers? Where you and I have, have spent years and years and years of hard work and toil trying to find out the one thing UNLV football can lead the country in, and, and, and actually the world and the globe. Have your players cut the hair! Like, <laughs> you know, everyone gets tested in the morning, so all the UNLV football players get tested, and, you know... Player A and B are negative. It's like, all right, you're cutting hair today. Why do they keep going to these barbers? There's been more COVID barbers with sports in it than anything. All right, either A, uh, every team needs to find a player who's a decent barber, like you're going to be in high demand if you are, or B, yes. if you're a team owner, hire a barber and make him isolate with the rest of the team like he's one of the team doctors or something. Because uh, yeah. otherwise, you're all, at this point, you're almost guaranteed to lose a player because he got a haircut and the barber tested positive. I mean, because it happens all the I time. Gotta be honest, I what are these? I don't know. I don't doing? know about you, but I've been. Uh, what? I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've triple masked on the barber when I go in now. I'm uh, very concerned. I don't know if you've. St- you obviously haven't seen me yet, because I. <laughs> we are. We are past one year. No haircut. Jared's One hairstyle. Year? Jared's hairstyle is shave it off himself and then let it grow until it's so long, he looks homeless. Yeah, that's yes. all right. That's factually correct. But genuinely, we've got like thirty seconds. What is going on with the barber community where they are constantly like, "Yeah, I don't wear a mask. Don't really wash my hands. I just like contract COVID." I mean, well, all assume. Because random people sit in the chair next to them for 30 minutes to an hour at a time, and that's a fairly dangerous way to li- make a living right now, that would be my best guess. But you are right. It seems like we know more barbers that are testing positive than any other profession. That's it. Like We, we, have, to go okay. to, we have to go to break. Yeah, 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 we have Coming to. Coming up next, UNLV finished 8-10 in Mountain West today. Play. I'll tell you why I feel bad for UNLV fans, though. Ball in the hands of Moses Wood. Right side, Caleb Grill. Down low, Mbake. Mbake fakes left, turns back to the right. What a nice move. And a little jump hook nestles in. 14 to 11. Rebels trail, under 14 to go. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Good job by Jared to find the one highlight from UNLV's loss to Wyoming. So they ended the regular season 8-10 and 10 in Mountain West play, uh, 11-14 and 14 overall. Um, but you want some sad stats, Ed? Yeah, I read your Twitter over the weekend, so I think I know what's coming, but go ahead. <laughs> so since Lon Kruger left to go to Oklahoma... Uh, UNLV is 88 and 86 in Mountain West play. That is a decade's worth of basketball. 
They have now had five seasons in which they were over 500 in the Mountain West and five seasons where they are under 500 in the Mountain West. Four times they've managed to go 8-10. and 10. That is UNLV's record. But basically, for, for a decade now, UNLV is simply a, an average team in the Mountain West. They do have two NCAA tournament appearances in the last decade, uh, but those were the first two years of the last 10 years, and they lost in the first round in both of those instances. But we're at a point right now where, since Kruger left, TJ Otzelberger has the highest winning percentage of any coach in the Mountain West. He's won 55.6% of his games. That's better than Dave Rice, who won 53.6% of his games. There, this is this is just average. This is just an average basketball program in the Mountain West. And even though they spend more money than every other program, their coach is one of the highest paid, even though their recruiting classes are always one or two in the conference, they're average. And until... Until we see otherwise, until we actually see a team that's not average in the Mountain West, I think there's no reason to you know, consider UNLV a sleeping giant or consider yeah. them a team that could break out and have a great season. No, when I saw that number you gave out the, uh, over the weekend, the Lon Kruger number, the first thing that struck me was, look, you know, when, when Musselman was at Reno, he really got it going there for a few years, obviously. Uh, and, you know, San Diego State's been pretty consistent, you know, as one of the best programs. You'd have Utah State with Craig Smith had a few years. But this isn't like we talked to Lon Kruger last week. Like, you know, Lon, uh, everyone you prepare for is ranked. So, you know, you go through highs and lows because everyone's ranked. This is not that conference. And given what they've paid their coaches and, and the advantages they've had, it makes it really even worse because this is a league where if you're UNLV, and, you know, in a given year, you might not be as good as Nevada with Musselman or San Diego State this year, whatever. The fact that you've been 500 teams since Kruger left, that's a huge indictment. This is there. There are there are most years in this league where, you know, the bottom half, those should be those should be games you're winning no matter what. And then you deal with whoever might be the top two teams and try to split with those. But to say for 10 years or however long it's been, you've been 500 in a bad league. That's not very good. This is not the Big 12 or the ACC when it's good or something like this. This is the Mountain West. You can count on your hand four, five, six teams every year. Like, those aren't any good teams. Yeah, you're almost gifted six wins every year yes. thanks to San Jose State Air Force. And there's generally one other bad there's another team. another team, yes. It sort of cycles through. So you're almost gifted six wins every year. And UNLV gets to nine most of the time. And that's not good. And, like, you look, I don't have the exact numbers, but, like, They've won, like, what, two of their last 15 against San Diego State? They've won one of their last, like, 11 against Nevada? Like, their biggest rivals and the two teams over the last five years that have had the most success in this conference, they're not even competitive with those teams. They can't even come close to beating the better teams in this conference. And so that's where, if you're UNLV, this, like, you're just an average team. You might spend a lot of money and you might have the recruiting classes, but it doesn't happen. It doesn't change for this team. And here's... Here's what I feel bad for. I have seen on Twitter, and it's happened throughout the year, but it's happened a lot more the last couple of weeks because they've lost some to end the stretch here. There are UNLV fans on Twitter that continue to compare what Otzelberger's doing to Dave Rice and Marvin Menzies, which is right. fine. You're comparing against right. previous coaches. But there are fans that aren't just comparing. There are fans that are out here saying, oh, Dave Rice was better. Oh, Marvin Menzies was better. And I feel bad for those fans because this team has been so bad for so long. They've been so beaten down 
that when they jump on Twitter and tweet about like their daydreams, they're daydreaming about Dave Rice and Marvin Menzies. UNLV is so far removed from actual success that UNLV fans can't even dream about having a good coach. They're just dreaming about having a slightly less worse coach. And that's what I feel bad about. Because, listen, Dave Rice and Marvin Menzies got fired because they were producing average or below average Mountain West team. That's why they got fired. And Otzelberger, if it doesn't change next year, he might be in that same situation. But, like, I just feel bad for UNLV fans that can't even get out of that realm of, well, what if we were, instead of average, slightly above average? Like, you should be dreaming much higher than that. You should be dreaming of, hey, who's the coach that can take us to the top of this damn conference and not to just 10 or 11 wins in conference play? Uh. I want to ask you. I, I want to ask you because I didn't get a chance. What I asked Mike Gramala. Let's say these Iowa State rumors are true, and they'll go after him. Which you know, good for him. Like I, I think everyone likes him, and you know, he seems like a good guy. And you know, good if you get a if you get a better job and make more money. I get that. But I want to know from you, given what they've seen in two years, and it's it. Look, it's hard. And Desiree's not the only one. It's hard for ads to admit, even privately, that did they make the right choice, especially in the the top two the top two uh, jobs, which are football, men's basketball, at every school. So let's say Iowa State comes, and, and, and you're probably not going to you know, save him anyway in terms of him not going. How hard a push would you make to keep him? Not very hard, uh, because presumably Iowa State, if they hire Otzelberg, oh, they're, they're going to give him, money. Yeah. They're yeah. Gonna give him 2.3, 2.5 yeah. million, something like that. He's set to make 1.3 next year for UNLV. Right. You you're not going to be able to compete with that. Like you, you, there's no. No, but, t- but no... take the money. But take the money out of it. Obviously, he's going to go for the money. But in internally, and it's hard to say this because we, you know, we she we haven't asked her this, and I don't know if she'd say it. But do you think they've seen enough to where it's like, eh, well, you know what, you know, we, it, it's a it's a good break for both. Or do you think there's still the belief that hey, you know, give him a few more years. Well, I think you want him to stay because I think as an, as an athletic director, you don't want to go through a coaching search two years after you hired a guy. So I, I think if the money wasn't a problem, right, if we were talking about Iowa State was offering the same contract right, or whatever, right. then, yeah, you're if you're UNLV, you're pushing to keep him. But I will say this. If he goes, and as long as UNLV holds him to his buyout and doesn't let him renegotiate something else, if he goes, his buyout right now to UNLV would be like $3.15 million. So if you're UNLV and Otzelberger does in fact leave and you do in fact get that $3.15 million buyout, you've got $3.15 million you didn't have before. Plus, you've already allocated $1.3, million, $1.4, and $1.5 over the next three years to, to pay your basketball coach. You can pay your next basketball coach nearly $2 million a year, whoever you hire. So yes, yes. if he leaves, you've got a lot of money to spend, and you've got a lot of money to uh, potentially go get a big-time coach and pay a lot of money comparatively to what Mountain West coaches get paid. So I don't think you're fighting too hard to keep him, even though you don't necessarily want him to leave because you've got to go through the whole coaching search again. But I do think if you're UNLV and he leaves, you're, you're okay with it. It's, not, it's definitely not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I Look, it's not going to be a choice, I don't think, because a coach is not going to turn down being a head coach in the Big 12 for a million more, or, you know, even more than that a year. Um, but, look, they they haven't – and I'll go back to this, and it might be unfair, and you and I have talked about this. I don't think it's unfair, though, because two things I remember about that press conference when they fired Menzies. One, she dropped your phone, and two – She dropped uh, my phone. She, she, two, <laughs> she said, this is a win-now program. 
And yep. I'm sorry. And I, people say, well, you, you, you say that too much. No. When you'd fire a coach and say whatever you want about Menzies, I think, you know, in the first year, no one would have won. I mean, I, people that have Marvin opinions, that's fine. There's no problem with that. But when you fire a coach after that many years and you stand up and say, this is a win now program, well, you better hire someone who wins. I mean, you, you can't say that and then go two years and not even be sniffing the NSA tournament. So, yeah. yeah, I think year three is really important because that's what you put out there as to what you believe your basketball program is. All right, coming up next, Ryan Wallace joins the show. We'll find out his knowledge on the royal family. He his pants. This isn't the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour. This is the VGK Update with Ryan Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at RyanHockeyGuy. I'm out. Joining us now is Ryan Wallace. Ryan, how are you this morning? I'm fantastic. How are you? Hey, Ryan. We are good. Uh, can you give us an update? Why are people so mad about Meghan Merkel and Prince Harry's interview with Oprah? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I got nothing. I don't know. Okay. Well, uh, you have joined uh, my- me, Jared, Mike Gramala. Uh, none of us know what's happening here. Ed watched every minute of the interview, though, and knows exactly <laughs> what happened. So. <laughs> Ed is still all by himself on an island. He's <laughs> the, the only island. one who paid attention to that. Um, I'm out on the island with the Royals. I had a very yeah. firm take, which was, why are these people talking to Oprah? <laughs> that is... Uh, you know what? I'll, like, I'll second that. Um, <laughs> that's all I got, though. <laughs> well, okay, hold on. Jared, before we get into actual hockey here, isn't Oprah the exact person that talks to these type of people? I don't know. They, like, they I seem... feel like you're treating Oprah like some serious investigative journalist or something like that. No, I'm treating her like these people are beneath Oprah. Like, go talk to Diane Sawyer <laughs> if Diane Sawyer is still with us. I don't. I mean, you got it. Yeah, you've got a billionaire journalist with millionaire royals. So there's always that. Uh, they're not near her, you know, uh, wealth, but uh, you know, she they, they've got some cash, so uh, it might be a good no, mix. Oprah is royalty. <laughs> Prince that's, Harry. That's, well, that's by the way, they're thing. not royalty anymore. That's the whole point of the interview. They're not. They got kicked out. They got, oh, well, they I'm, chose to leave. They chose to leave. I'm learning more by the minute. Do they have <laughs> jobs now? Yeah, I mean, they have foundations. I think it's what rich people do. You make a foundation and you make millions of dollars. How do I know? But yeah, he's got what? a foundation, I guess. I don't know how that, that doesn't sound right. Okay, Ryan, do <laughs> you want to talk some hockey? <laughs> No, this is uh, way more fascinating. Is it? Okay. What kind of jobs do they have in this foundation? Or do people just give them money still? No, uh, really, they, they do streaming really on Netflix. when Netflix came into this. Yeah. Like, where, where is that? What's that about? Yeah. He's doing uh, streaming with Netflix, and he's producing, like, human interest stories and, you know, trying to help people out. I mean, it, it all sounded very nice that he was trying to help people. I didn't get really what he was doing, but it sounded good. Wait, was this interview with Oprah on Netflix? No, it was on uh, Nash TV, but she asked him about it. She She's apparently working with him uh, to help like disadvantaged and poor people around the world to do, you know, look oh. through his foundation. It, all so, sound, it oh. sounded much more than any of us on this show's ever done to her people. So she's doing for him what he's trying to do for other people. Oh, I think guess four people. This feels like a conflict of interest. 
<laughs> okay. I just know Here's... they all live in. I just know they all live in beautiful Santa Barbara mansions. That's that's the other thing I got from the interview. They they all are living very well for themselves. Uh, Ryan, would that mean if they chose to leave the royal family? Yeah. It, would would that make Vadim Shipashov the Prince Harry of the Golden Knights? Oh, that's right. Yeah, probably. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a great parallel, Tyler. Well done. <laughs> You're welcome. Now tell us. Alex Tuck, is he a top five player on this team this year? If you're ranking the top five players, where does Tuck come in? I, I think he's, he, I think he should be up there, right? Like you, you've got Mark Andre Fleury, you've got Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Jonathan Marchessault. Um, I, I think Alex Tuck is getting himself into that conversation. I think you can make the argument that Shea Theodore probably deserves to be there too. But for my money, just what Alex Tuck's been able to do over the last seven games. Um, really since the Lake Tahoe game, he's dominated and he's made everyone around him better. Like when you look at the San Jose Sharks series, Alex Tuck scored a goal on the top line. He scored a goal on the third line. He scored a goal on the fourth line. The only line he didn't score on is the only line he didn't play on. That was the second line. Uh, I want to ask you, you should have played him on the second line then. (laughs) We, uh, we talked before you came on early in the show about he and, and Theodore's contracts, and Tyler made the point, I agree, that at this point, they're probably McPhee's best contracts because they're locked up for so long, and the trajectory of both of them is so high. I mean, is there any chance at the end they don't look back and say, boy, those guys were a bargain. We got really lucky locking them up. Yeah, I mean, you look at their contracts. They're absolutely fantastic. Now, you know, obviously, you overpay at the moment you sign the contract, but you ex- that as they continue to progress and they continue to get better as they become professional athletes, uh, that those contracts are going to be bargains. And I think we're at the point right now with both Alex Tuck and Shea Theodore where you could make the argument that they're either getting paid exactly what they're worth or a little bit under market value. And that's a good thing because they've got a lot of term left on those deals. And that's really going to allow the Golden Knights the flexibility. And it has allowed them the flexibility to go out and get big-name free agents or make trades for players that are highly coveted. I'm curious looking like ahead to the, the playoffs. So the Golden Knights have an excellent top six, and maybe he, Pete DeBoer has to reshuffle the lines and they play Colorado to improve the depth. But if he doesn't, if the lines sort of stay how we expect, do you think Cody Glass and Alex Tuck and insert whoever you want to be the other winger on that line are they going to be good enough in the playoffs to give the Golden Knights pretty much for the first time ever a good third line in the playoffs? I think you need to get Cody Glass and, and whether it be Nick Waugh, whether it be Keegan Colazar, whether or not you go out and make a trade for a third line winger that you think can play with those two guys, Cody Glass and, and Alex Tuck. I, I think that you've got to get more out of the other pieces beyond just Alex Tuck. Like what we're seeing out of Alex right now is that he is, fully capable at the NHL level of driving offense himself. But when you get into the playoffs, you can't just be the driver yourself. People will shut you down, and it's really going to create a a more difficult situation for Alex Tuck to just kind of do it all himself. You need Cody Glass to continue to get better and more confident five-on-five, and you need to build in that chemistry with whoever the, the permanent line mates are going to be. I think Nick Waugh's had a disappointing season so far, just kind of based on what we saw out of him last year. It'd be good to get him going, and if that's going to be the line moving forward, you got to play him as much as possible. 
uh, is the fact they're playing so well and winning all these games, and what would you do uh, hiding the fact that perhaps they need to make moves on the fourth line or the fourth line uh, is not maybe uh, living up to whatever expectations a fourth line would have? If they were losing more, would people take a harder look at the fourth line? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously winning is uh, is the great equalizer, right? Like the Golden Knights have, have won 16 games in 21, uh, 16 in, out of 21, which is really, really good, obviously. So you kind of don't nitpick as much as you would if say they were they were losing. You know, they've they've had seven or eight or ten losses so far this season. Right. So I, I think. Like you look at the fourth line, you know exactly what you're going to get out of them. They start a lot of shifts in the offensive zone. They don't contribute much offensively. Um, and, you know, they bring energy. That is something that they do. They do hit. But at some point, I think you want to get some scoring out of that line. You want to get them to be able to chip in offensively here and there and really defend well. And, and I think that as you move along, you get closer to the playoffs, you're going to need that secondary and tertiary scoring because it's not always going to be easy for the Golden Knights top six to find the back of the net. And if they're not scoring, who else is going to? On the, on the fourth line there, because the, the fourth line numbers this year, they're giving up more chances and shots and goals per minute played than, than any other line, which in the past they've been solid defensively and they don't really give up a whole lot. What would it take for there to be like significant change there, like taking Carrier or Reeves out of the lineup? What would it take for that to happen for this team? I think that it, it, you know, I don't know that it's anything that, that happens with the current configuration. Like, obviously, Keegan Colazar has played well for the Golden Knights. He hasn't been able to find the back of the net. But at least from a production standpoint, you know, he's chipping in every three or four games with an assist, which is something more so than, than what you're getting out of that, that, uh, that fourth line anyway. But, like, for me, I think it's about going out there and trying to find a player. Like, go out, try to find a guy – that you know is good defensively, a guy in the Pierre Edward Belmar range, somewhere, some a player like that who is good defensively, who can chip in a little bit offensively, and can really shore up some of the deficiencies we're seeing with that fourth line. Once you have an option that's tested at the NHL level, I think maybe then you you get to be a little bit more um, willing to to make changes on that line. Uh, you brought them up before. I wanted to ask you this because Marsha uh, had a good point afterwards where he said it's not the same anymore. And when you look at the record, it's really not because I think one, ha- one team has to start winning some of those games. Do you think San Jose is any kind of rivalry anymore or will it always point back to the fateful three to four minutes? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a rivalry at all. Like I, I understand the fans and their desire to kind of keep this as, as a part of the the storytelling and, and the the rivalry piece for the Golden Knights. But, like, if we're being completely honest, these teams aren't going to play in the playoffs anytime soon. San Jose is trending in the wrong direction, and the Golden Knights are just simply better at every facet of the game every single time these two teams play. So it's really difficult for me to look at where San Jose is, where the Golden Knights are, and say that this is a legitimate rivalry. There's just not going to be a way – for San Jose to push Vegas in a meaningful way outside of fighting. And as we saw going into this, this, this past weekend, that's not really something that these two teams do anymore. So that's, it's kind of done. It's over with. Uh, Ryan and Ed, who's, whose animals were those in the background? Oh, it's me. Oh, it's what, me. What, what type of animals? Cause I know you got more than just dogs. 
Yeah, no, it's the dogs. They're they're freaking out about something outside. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> Is it one of the other animals that are you they, have? Are they freaking out about the goats? <laughs> well, I mean, like, I don't know. It's, it's possible the chickens are out, so maybe they're maybe they're yelling at the chickens. I don't know. The goats um, are too far away. The, 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 the dogs can't see the goats. <laughs> Which of your animals is the loudest on your property? Ah, uh, ooh, the loudest? I, the chickens, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, like the roosters, when they crow, it's, it's morning time, like we know. What, uh, what time do they crow? Do they crow at the same exact time? No, they crow, like, incessantly. Like, that's, some, that's a common misconception <laughs> with, with chickens. Like, everyone thinks, ah, oh, rooster crows when the sun comes up. No, they'll do it through the middle of the night, too. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. Jeez. They'll oh, tell you that when you get chickens. <laughs> that's, not part, that's not part of the sales pitch. No, no, not at all. <laughs> well, he is Ryan Wallace. Ryan, we appreciate your hot Thanks, takes Ryan. on Meghan Merkel and Prince Harry. All right, thanks, thanks, guys. Man. You know, my, I, my mom has chickens and roosters, but she didn't have roosters when I lived there. I'm not aware if her roosters just crow during the middle Man. of the night or not. That's, those are some big problems. I mean, my biggest problem every day is mute so I can get a piece of raisin toast. He's got chickens and <laughs> roosters waking him up at 3 a.m. Those, those are real problems. Well self-inflicted it's not like somebody (laughs) forced the chickens and roosters on them he chose those i mean i I will say that uh, there are certain neighborhoods in kansas city where you'll suddenly like walk into your backyard and you'll go why is there like 19 chickens in my backyard (laughs) and then you find out like a year later that like one neighbor two two streets over just has chickens, but doesn't really keep chickens, if you know what I mean. <laughs> There's no, there no fences. Very free range. <laughs> all right, coming up next, uh, I think all we've learned over the past couple of weeks is that college basketball coaches will complain about anything. William Hill. Be back. Oh, yeah, I got to do William Hill. William Hill! You can get a free 50 bucks when you sign up for a new mobile sports account. You get use the promo code GET50, that is G-E-T-5-0. And then when you make a minimum of $50 in sports bets, you'll get a free 50 bucks in your account from William Hill. So you get a free $50 and you can place all your bets straight from your phone. It's bet 50, get 50 from William Hill. Just remember the promo code GET50. For more details, visit WilliamHill.us. It's time to find the sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Sean is back once again. Loyola Chicago came through for him over the weekend. Uh, They actually ended up winning their conference tournament. So, Sean, where would you like to go today with your bet? Hey, Sean. What's up, gentlemen? Good morning, morning. Uh, I think we're going to go with the unfavorable pick, St. Mary's plus 18 over Gonzaga. Oh, oh. The unfavorable pick. Wait, was it you that earlier in the year got burnt on picking Gonzaga or picking against Gonzaga covering 20 or something yes. like that? Yes, it was. All right, so let's see. St. Mary's, I see 18 and a half. So St. Mary's plus 18 and a half? Even better. Let's do it. All right, so there we go. St. Mary's plus 18 and a half. They play Gonzaga in the WCC tournament. Thanks, Sean. Good luck. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate you guys. All right, the WCC Sean, tournament. 
who obviously hates the Zags. <laughs> All right. I, I, we got to get to college basketball coaches complaining about everything because if you did not pay attention to the America East Conference Tournament, which how dare you, uh, the one and the two seeds, UMBC and Vermont, uh, they had buys straight to the semifinals, and they both lost in their first games to the six seed and to the four seed. The America East Conference, the way their schedule set up, the one and two seeds did not play for 14 days leading up to the conference semifinal. So they had 14 days off between games. And Jeff Goodman tweeted out that a coach in the America East texted him, this is why you don't let your top two seeds not play for two weeks leading into a conference tournament. Apparently, UMBC and Vermont had too much rest is what the argument was. But... I am using that as a way to prove that college basketball coaches are going to complain no matter what happens. Because we just had in the Mountain West a team take San Diego State, for example. They did not want to play makeup games, but they got scheduled into playing makeup games. And Brian Dutcher complained about having to play makeup games. Well, if they had not scheduled those makeup games, San Diego State would have gone 12 days between their last regular season game and their first conference uh, tournament game without playing. So we have one conference where coaches are complaining about having to play games, and we have another conference about coaches complaining about not having to play games, and all I can think of is stop making excuses. If you want to complain and make excuses, go into sports radio, because that's what we get paid to do. Go win the damn games and stop complaining about literally anything and everything that happens to your team. So have you kept up with, or can I give you some new information on what Mountain West coaches are now complaining about? I know what they're complaining about, yes. and I'm ready to yell at them about yes. this too, but go ahead. They are complaining that when they get to Las Vegas, the COVID testing, uh, and I only read about Wyoming and San Diego State, Wyoming will play the first day, right? Excuse me, it's Wyoming or San Jose State, whoever wins that game. Yes. So let's just say it's Wyoming. It doesn't really matter. Whoever wins that game will test the next day at 5.45 a.m. I think they play at noon, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. The one seed gets noon. San Diego State, who's the one seed, will then test, I believe, am I right, at 6.15 or around 6 a.m., 6.15, on the same day they play. And now the, now the excuse whine, whatever it is, is, and I want to ask you about this, a lot of other leagues, including the Pac-12, will test the night before. Obviously, they want to test long enough to where if there's false positives or if there's a positive kid, they can retest for a kid and not keep them out. But now it appears there are Mount West coaches incensed at the fact that their kids have to get up that early to go over to Thomas and Mac and test. Stop complaining about having to test for COVID while you're trying to play a conference tournament during the middle of a pandemic. This is the most ridiculous thing to complain about because the other part of this is what are these players doing? They they're here in Las Vegas to play in a conference tournament where I assume they're not allowed to leave their hotel room unless it's no. to come to Thomas and Mac and play. So just go to bed earlier. You're telling me a 5.30 wake-up call is too early? Okay, then go to bed an hour earlier. Yeah. Like, to me, like, I okay, yeah, it's not ideal. Your players have to get up, bus over to Thomas and Mac and take a test. We're in a pandemic. 
Nothing's ideal. You're not supposed to be doing anything anyways. Go to bed a little bit earlier if you're that concerned about it. Stop complaining and just play some damn basketball. And Get a wake-up call. Zero. I'd like to yes. be called at 5 a.m. Please wake me up. Don't get your hair cut, because you're not playing the rest of the year if you do. <laughs>